This episode of the Socks and Sandals podcast is brought to you by Mr. OK's Essentials. Mr. OK's is 100% black owned. Uh, you all have heard, if you haven't heard, the owner, the creator of Mr. OK's Essentials was on the Socks and Sandals podcast episode 101. So check it out. But uh, Mr. OK's provides 100% natural candles, body butter, and soap. Okay? 100% natural ingredients, 100% black owned, and 100% vibes and love poured into every product. All right, now go to the website, www.mrokesessentials.com. In the checkout, enter promo code SOCKS to receive 10% off your next order, okay? Once again, go to the website, get your candles, get your butter, get your soap, get right, and enter promo code SOCKS, S-O-X, and receive 10% off your next order. Which dog? Is the black doll? And which one is the white doll? That one. Which doll is the pretty doll? Which doll is the nice doll? Which doll is the bad doll? Which doll is the nice doll? And which doll is the bad doll? And, what, and why is that doll pretty? Because she's white and he has two eyes. Which doll is the ugly doll? Why is that doll ugly? Because he, because he's black. What up, what up? I want to welcome you all back to the Socks and Sandals podcast where society, culture, history, and religion collide. And we unapologetically discuss our worldviews. It's your guy, Emmanuel. I'm back. I'm not in the kitchen. I'm in K-Boo at the radio station recording. And uh, I got a very special guest with me. Uh, we go back to Benson High School. Is that when we first met? Yeah, yeah. it is. <laughs> yeah, so uh, a fellow Benson Techman or Texter, I should say. Uh, also a fellow City of Portland Park Ranger. That we is worked so at true. Park Rangers. Was that one or two summers together? Yeah, Something you like brought that. it all the way back. I forgot about that. Yeah, man. So we, we go back to Park <laughs> Rangers, man. Uh, it was some good times. Yes, it was. <laughs> yes, it was. And uh, yeah, so without further ado, Miss Camille Elmore Trummer. Say what's up to the people. Hey, how y'all doing? Glad to be yeah. here. Thank you for coming out. Of course. I'm so glad to have you on. This yeah. is long overdue, right? Yeah, absolutely. We've yeah. been talking about this for a while. Yeah, so. it, was, it was just a matter of time, but got the perfect topic yeah you know so and this is you know it's kind of a sensitive topic mm-hmm. you know but uh you stepped up to the plate yeah so you I, know I appreciate as, that. as soon as i saw you post i was like i have something to contribute to the conversation so Word. let's do this <laughs> so well before we get into that tell the folks a little bit about who you are where you're from and just a typical day in the life of Camille Elmore Trummer. <laughs> yeah, so um, I was born and raised in Portland, actually. Um, and I left for a little bit for about 10 years, went to Chicago, went to Seattle, um, did some work there. Um, I started my career in education, um, quickly moved to public policy, and now work in strategic communications and movement building. Mm. And um, I have a daughter. She's four years old. I have one on the way. Um, congrats, congrats. Thank you. 
And, and um, do we know the gender? We do not. No? It will be a surprise. Okay, so no gender yeah. reveal parties nope. for the Trumps. Okay. Nope, okay. not for us. All right. Um, and um, I am married to an immigrant, someone who's of color, but not from this country. Um, and so we talk a lot about race, politics, religion, mm-hmm. et cetera. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I've just been on this journey of, of uh, you know, being what I call a social change agent, which yeah. is facilitating, you know, courageous conversations around race, sure. um, dismantling white supremacy yeah. and um, figuring out how as a collective we are going to raise these babies that <laughs> are the next generation. So, so without going too deep into it, is it? your company or just a company that you work for? Yeah, it's both. I work okay. for Brink Communications. We're a woman-owned communications marketing um, and design firm yeah. um, working at the intersections of urban innovation, public health, and racial and social justice. Mm-hmm. And then I also own my own facilitation practice where I work with organizations to uplift and daylight um, what folks are calling diversity, equity, inclusion, what mm. I call dismantling white supremacy, mm-hmm. and um, facilitating conversations mainly uh, amongst white folks about what it means to center people of color and protect their livelihood when we know that we are under attack by many different forces. So, yeah. You are a courageous woman. (laughs) I try. I genuinely want to see us do better as a species. (laughs) So I'm down for the cause. Yo, like, I forgot who I was talking to the other day. And uh, I was just saying, like, it was it was something that came up. One of my friends was part of this organization. Um, he's no longer a part of them, but, like, he didn't have anyone's contact information. And he just needed me to reach out to somebody for some help. Mm-hmm. Um, I reached out to them. The person that, that got in contact with me was a white woman. Mm-hmm. And he had done for them. Mm-hmm. And he just needed, like, a little favor. Mm-hmm. And they made all these excuses. Well, have you reached out to their, you know, family or have you? Reached? I'm like, okay, if you don't want to help, right? Just say it. <laughs> just say it. And then, and then accuse this individual of something that I know didn't happen. Mm-hmm. Say, oh, did you know that? Like, nah. That but I was like, oh, really? Tell mm-hmm. me more about that. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, bro, I don't know how you deal. Mm-hmm. Like being in close contact, like doing business with, mm-hmm. you know, especially older white people, not Absolutely. younger, but older. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the fact that you're working with them day in, day out, uh, and that's just like working with them, but like doing that work, mm-hmm. so a lot of patience, a lot of restraint. Yes. You know. And I think my mental framework when doing that work is I'm not here to convince you. I'm here to propose some questions that I know you ain't got the answers to. (laughs) And when we do come to find the answers, you will have to shift your way of thinking because this is historical fact. Mm. Like there's no rebutting what I'm telling you. Mm. Um, There is an analysis. There is data to support these things. But because I'm giving you a question rather than giving you a fact, it allows you to consider it and not, yeah, yeah, and not um, try to create evaluation bias, which happens all the time where Mm -hmm. white folks are like, well, I don't really believe you because you're a person of color or Mm -hmm. because I don't see it that way. It's like, Mm -hmm. no, if I ask you a question of whose land are we on, you're going to have to tell me native and indigenous people. There's Mm -hmm. no no other way around it. Mm -hmm. So then we also have to talk about settlism, colonialism, white supremacy, like that's just the bread and butter of it, right, baby. There's right. no, like, getting around that. So you just kind so. of lead them into oh, it. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, so you said 
Right. You hit him up like, yeah, like an attorney. So, oh, so, so you said <laughs> exactly. You, you know you fucked up. Though. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And they know it. They know it. Yeah. So that's been that's how I is it's it's all exhausting work. It's mm-hmm. all what I like to say, not a challenge but an opportunity. And I get my energy from teasing out those questions yeah. because I feel like it's easier to make people do the labor themselves mm-hmm. of figuring out what the answers are rather than me telling you and trying to get you to believe me when right. I know you don't want to do that anyways. That's a, that's a great approach because that I've always told people like, I, and I was telling my partner, I was like, bro, I don't argue with white people. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't try to teach them mm-hmm. about white supremacy or right. their own privilege. Like, I don't have time for that. Right. Um, because it just it's not effective. None of us have time for that. But what you what you do that's great. Yeah. Because it makes like they have to say. It. Yeah. You have to tell me what you actually believe. And mm. then I'll tell you that it's likely not true. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I'll give you the facts if you really want to go there. Like, we can get factual with it. Yeah. That's what's up. That's yeah. Dope. So how long have you been doing that? Um, I've been working at Brink for mm. almost two years and I've been doing facilitation for about a year and a half. Okay. But I got deeper into the practice um, when I moved back to Portland just because I learned so much in Chicago mm. and in Seattle. Um, just about kind of the methodologies that you need to, as a black woman, not exhaust yourself or go insane by having these conversations with white folks. That's a fact. That's a big <laughs> so, fact. Yeah. Yeah. That's dope. So, and, and what was your your title? You said like movement maker? Uh, social change agent. So, but there was something else you said. Oh, movement building. Movement building. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about that. Yeah. What, what that so, actually means, what, what that work looks like. Yeah, it's really about kind of galvanizing communities around the things that we need the most mm-hmm. and building small movements, local movements. I always say start local um, right. because I know that at a national or international scale, things seem very overwhelming. So movement building is really about getting communities together around a specific issue and you pooling our resources to inform the powers that be what we need and how we want to achieve it. And then it must be informed by us. It can't be informed by policymakers that have no relationships or no connections with the communities they're supposed to serve. Right. Mm So movement building is about building campaigns. It's about activism. It's about organizing in the streets. Um, There's so many different strategies, and I found that my specific lens or entry point into it is creating these spaces to have courageous conversations. Mm -hmm. While many of my colleagues are out knocking on doors and asking people to vote or, you know, protesting in the streets. So I think Mm -hmm. all of those methods are valid. Mm -hmm. It's just what is your passion and what can you provide in a way that fulfills you first, mm-hmm. but also gets the work done. Yeah. Yeah. Man, that is awesome. That's, dope. That's amazing. Yeah. So um, just to kind of get into the meat of everything, yeah. the main event, yeah. um, you know, I, I had reached out on Facebook, Instagram, and let everyone know that I was looking for people to share stories about racial identity, stories mm-hmm. that range from tragedy to triumph um, that pertain to your internal and external struggles with racial identity. Mm-hmm. Um, before we get into what, you know, your response was, uh, just tell us all a little bit about, you know, what is your ethnic, you and your husband's ethnic background and mm-hmm. how you all identify? Yeah, that's a great question. Yeah. I identify as black mm-hmm. um, and I say black specifically versus African-American because I've learned over time um, that black represents a collective we that is Mm. transnational. So it's Mm. when I'm saying I'm black, 
I'm saying I'm with people that are from the continent of Africa, mm-hmm. from the continent of Asia, because we know mm-hmm. that there's some folks that are very, very dark Definitely. and can be considered black from the Pacific Islands. Like, mm-hmm. this is a collective response mm-hmm. to how we want to be seen and heard. So I'm black. I'm a black woman. Mm-hmm. Um, ethnically, I'm a mixture of Cameroonian, um, Nigerian, and um from um, Tobago a little bit. Okay, yeah. So I just did a DNA test and that's what it told me. But, mm-hmm. you know, we're all we're all a good mix. Yeah. My partner is um, half Ethiopian, half German, mm-hmm. born and raised in Germany um, up until he was 16. And then he transitioned to living in the United States through a study abroad program. Mm-hmm. And so we made a little, um, you know, black Ethiopian, German, uh, West African baby. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, she's she's lighter skinned, um, lighter brown eyes. Um, and so she looks different from me, resembles her father. You know, my partner is very light skinned with lighter eyes. Mm-hmm. And so they have, you know, very different experiences than I do when we're out in the streets. And it's particularly the way in which they are what I will say consumed by white people. It's much mm. different than the way that they interact or the lack of engagement they have with me. Wow. Mm-hmm. Do you find it that you have people coming up talking to them and not speaking to you? Absolutely. And my partner and I talk about this all the time. You know, mm. they are, Daniel, his name is Daniel, is digestible. Right. He is the Barack Obama for a lot of white folks. I'm and loving so, the terminology you're dropping on me. I'm, I'm stealing all this. <laughs> He's the Barack Obama. He is... Um, Adjustable Negro. That is yeah, yeah. He, he is the mixed race, um, you know, icon that is um, attractive and that presents no threat to mm. white folks. And mm-hmm. so many times when we're in public, they will acknowledge him, they will acknowledge Naomi, and they will not acknowledge me. Wow. Um, in fact, they are often confused or make an assumption that we're not a family unit. Mm. Um, And so, you know, it's just something that I've noticed over time. And because I have my own analysis and I have been doing my own work um, in terms of self-love, I've been able to combat it in a way that's healthy. But Mm. I imagine for many people in my position, it's it can be very traumatic, right, to 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 have white folks or any folks not think that your child is your child. People to treat you like, yeah, like. You're like a you're the help. Right. That's not cool. Yeah. Obviously. Or that I'm an invisible exactly. and I'm not that worthy too. of having an, a hello or a how are you or yeah. oh are you you know, whatever. So That's wild. Yeah. And so what what's your what's your advice to people that are in that relationship or in that type of situation? Yeah, I think talking about it with your partner, significant other, whoever is key, right? Mm-hmm. Having that interpersonal communication to say, look, um, we both may be brown, but there are some privileges that are activated here that mm-hmm. you may not be privy to, but mm-hmm. affects me in a very particular way. Like you do benefit from light skin privilege, right? Mm-hmm. You do benefit from being multiracial mixed race. Not that it's to a deficit in terms of your identity or who you are, but that's just the way in which the system has been designed. Mm-hmm. Our environment, you know, that has been, you know, created by white folks they value what you look like and they don't value what I look like. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, taking it a, lo- a level deeper and thinking about 
my daughter Naomi what she looks like and what this next baby may look like. Mm-hmm. It may look like me. Mm-hmm. So that my two children will have pr- maybe different experiences yeah. being raised in the same household. So there's mm-hmm. just all of these. My advice to folks is keep on talking with your partner. Keep on voicing and articulating what you're experiencing because mm-hmm. it's not you're not crazy. Yeah. These things are happening and they need to be dismantled and they need to be talked about in order for us to really combat them in healthy um ways and also have some great responses for white folks when it happens in real time because I'm all about nipping that in the bud. I know you got some pre-canned like responses so tell me about a little bit. Yeah it's 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 back to the questioning it's like well what would make you think that I wasn't her mother? Mm. It's really putting it back on them I'm Mm. going to give you back the labor do not belabor me Mm. with your bias or with your racism what I will do is put that right back on you. And have you answer the question, have you stutter in front of me for about five minutes so you can like backpedal on what you just said? Because you know it was messed up. You know, so for me, my methodology is always questioning and throwing it back at people. I love it. Yeah. I love it. Uh, You know, a a lot of, I'll say a a lot of black culture, um, especially like the Instagram, social media generation, Twitter is like what will get a lot of plays is like, you going off on going somebody. off yes oh she oh she told her oh she read her and it's just like okay that's cool right but i don't think we win out of giving our emotions to people like that Mm-mm. you know I, I, I just feel like it does more harm for us I we're agree. the ones expending all that energy we're the ones getting all worked up and they're just sitting back like yo Right. Well, that's that's how they get down. You and know? they didn't learn anything. I mean, yeah. they learned that you were angry, mm-hmm. but they were already you're perpetuating a stereotype, right. not because you're doing it because that's uh, something that is a part of our culture. But to them, you're perpetuating a stereotype that they created that they mm-hmm. can then grab onto and say, see, that's mm-hmm. what you always do. And, and my thing is, like, I don't want us to not do things because of right of the quote unquote stereotype. Right. However. I want us to know what's constructive yep. and what's not constructive. Right. And, and so I, think, I, I, I value the way that you get down is just by asking, posing a question, putting it back in their court. And I will say that all of those methodologies and ways of, of speaking back and pushing back are valid. Like mm-hmm. my way of doing it is my way. And the other ways that I've seen online or elsewhere are also valid. Mm-hmm. It's our way of, you know, clapping back. Right. But I think that there are ways that I've seen it be so productive that white po- folks really have to like, it's almost like they have a seat in real time because mm. it's like, you really have to reassess what you just said to me. <laughs> and then I'm going to break it down. Now, there are times where I'm really ready to cuss someone out yeah. and I have to refrain myself. And sometimes I just do it because it's yeah. like, yo, you you knew what you was doing anyway. Right. And you're, you know, you're really just being an asshole. Yeah. But um there's just a variety of ways we can do it. And I see it every day. And, you know, some of it makes me laugh. Some of it makes me cry. But a lot of it, I'm like, yeah, go ahead and push that back. Clap right. that back. That's so, funny. Yeah. Just push those little buttons. Mm-hmm. Just, yeah. yeah. So for you growing up, mm-hmm. um, was blackness emphasized? Black history. Yeah. Just the appreciation of our beauty and our culture. Absolutely. How was that for you? Yeah. So I grew up in a... So, my childhood experience is, I guess some would say, a little bit complicated mm-hmm. in that I was raised by two very strong, very proud black parents mm-hmm. who also happened to be police officers, mm-hmm. right, in the 80s. Oh, man. That's <laughs> um, tough. And so my daddy is from South Carolina, mm-hmm. a really small town in South Carolina. And so he grew up with the Klan uh, burning crosses in his front yard. Mm-hmm. He was a 
per, part of the first group of students that were um, bused into white schools. Um, and so he came with this mental framework of you need to be very proud of where you come from and who you are because you have a whole lineage of ancestors that built this entire country. Right. So don't ever forget that. Yeah. We belong here. We have, um, you know, claims to this land in mm-hmm. many ways, mm-hmm. even though we were brought here. And there are ways that we can uplift ourselves by reminding and reading what our ancestors have done for us for and sure. what we what what our pathway is moving forward. Mm-hmm. My mom was the same way. My mom was born in the raised Northwest. She was born and raised here in Portland. Mm-hmm. And so her experience was knowing how to navigate life around white folks, mm-hmm. right? Which was different than my father's experience. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> and so that culmination of upbringing was my mom saying, get up in their face and tell them that they're wrong. And my dad's saying, be strategic, mm-hmm. be ambiguous, be have your pathway that you're going to take in order to make sure that you get what you need without these white folks knowing, really. Yeah. <laughs> And that's that's the thing that I try to do and I try to encourage other people whenever I get the chance. It's just like have your strategy set, mm-hmm. like know how like frame the conversation where you know how it's going to end right. before it even starts. Right. You know, like have the end in mind and and get there. However you get there, just make sure you get there. Yep. Yeah. So I had so I feel grateful because I had two parents that were teaching me two different sets of ways of being, mm-hmm. right, um, while being a black girl. And then that got kind of complicated by them deciding to raise me in the suburbs because they wanted access to better schools mm-hmm. in Portland. Mm-hmm. And so tough. then I became the only. Yeah. But what I learned by being the only is, um, you know, I know how to talk to white folks. I know what they like to hear. And then I have my strategy of getting what I need and what I want mm-hmm. without them really catching on to it. Mm-hmm. And so... I figured out the code switching, right? right. We all, as we all do. Yeah. Um, I figured out how to appease white folks in a way that I knew I was going to get that job because mm-hmm. I just dropped all these buzzwords that I know you need to hear. The buzzwords. To, to get better on your bottom line, I right? I swear, like, <laughs> white people, they love diversity. Oh, DEI, oh, DEI all statement. day. Oh, oh like, yes. Oh, say it again. Mm-hmm. Oh, inclusion. Oh, say it again. Yes, like, God. Yes. Relax. Yes. Uh-huh. Like, oh, just... Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh and God. so I figured out how to navigate in both worlds, black and white. Not that they're um, always dichotomies, but mm. I think particularly in Portland, they are. And so um, that that was my childhood. Mm. <laughs> and it, I think it prepared me to leave Portland and um, kind of jump into communities where blackness is everywhere it saturates every corner which is chicago (laughs) you know so then i was like whoa you know this is amazing um but i felt like i was set up to be successful in both environments so yeah that's That's how i feel like growing up in portland uh grew up in northeast grew up in the hood you know so it's funny like when you grew up here Mm -hmm. you didn't know how white portland was right like you really didn't know Mm -hmm. Until you got older, mm-hmm. you start taking a bus. Yep, exactly. <laughs> and you go downtown, you go to the Lloyd Center, yeah. you go somewhere in Southeast for a basketball game, you go to a track meet, yep. go to Salem. I'm go like, to Clackamas. Clackamas, all that, bro. I'm just like, <laughs> whoa. Yeah. Like, there's no black people out here. Yeah. Um, but like you said, we learn how to talk to white people. We learn how to use a, a white accent and mm-hmm. use our regular black accent. Yeah. And um, 
I went to Texas Southern. In, yeah, in I was about to ask you, how was it in Texas? Bruh, it was amazing. <laughs> no, half of y'all didn't come back. I know. I Honestly, I would not have stayed yeah. if the economy didn't tank in 2008. Oh, like that, when the man. economy just tanked for basically like two years. Yep. Because I, 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 I graduated, you know, December 07, came. Mm-hmm. This was my plan. Because mm-hmm. I already had a job lined up. Mm-hmm. Worked for a year. Mm-hmm. And I worked. And I stacked. Mm-hmm. But... End of 2008, everything was in the toilet. Yep. And I planned on going back, you know, getting a job and just doing a corporate shuffle. Yep. That's what everybody used to do. Mm-hmm. Work somewhere 18 months, two years, go to the next. Right. Bro, wasn't nobody hiring. Mm. <laughs> like, nobody was hiring. Mm-hmm. And a lot of my friends that didn't graduate in 07 graduated in 08, yep. they didn't get jobs for a while. Oh, yeah. 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 And so I was just like, damn, I got to keep my good job. Right. You know? And then mm-hmm. had a baby, got married, mm-hmm. bought a house. All right, I'm kind of stuck. Right. <laughs> I so feel you. <laughs> no, but honestly, like I've I've been trying to get Renita to go down there for a long time. Yeah. I, I bring it up every year. Yeah, I just shut down every year. <laughs> Seven consistent years. <laughs> I like your persistence, down. though. Oh yeah, I'm not gonna stop. Yeah, I'm not good. gonna stop. I was literally, I was, I, I had my sister. I was like, hey, I want you. I'm gonna, I'm gonna bring it up. Mm-hmm. And I want you to kind of. <laughs> <laughs> you strategize yeah, I love it. But she was like, no, mm-hmm. it's not happening. Mm-hmm. So it is what it is. But it was beautiful. Um, I remember my, my freshman year, my first semester, my first day, mm-hmm. sat on the student center steps, missed my first two classes. <laughs> I sat there and I just watched black people walk. Right. And I was like, oh, my God, they keep coming. Mm-hmm. Like, this is wild. Mm-hmm. Like, I've never seen so many. Mm-hmm. And they were my age. Like, it was crazy. It right? was culture shock. I was literally shocked. And I could not move. It was Wakanda. You just didn't know it, it yet. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so, um, but everywhere I went to the bank, mm-hmm. black folks, the grocery, just the, uh, all black grocery store. Yeah. Everybody that works there is black. Mm-hmm. Wild. Yeah. Go to McDonald's, go to whatever. You know what I mean? And it was just all black. Mm-hmm. And I remember getting on the plane, coming back home, mm. walking through the airport. And I had realized for the past three and a half months, I didn't even think about race mm-hmm. or racism right? and or white people. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, my God, like, where did I grow up? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, this is not OK. <laughs> like, I like yeah. we shouldn't be living like this. Right. Unfortunately, I'm still here and I'm still subjecting myself to mm-hmm. this whiteness. But it's like we shouldn't be living like this. Yeah. Like, this is wrong. Mm-hmm. Like, we should all be together mm-hmm. with our own culture. Mm-hmm. But. And it's, it's always amazing that white people can't understand what it then feels like to be the only. Mm. But, and it's like, but you're always around people that look like you. So, of yeah. course, you're going to be comfortable. And I'm never. So, of course, I'm not going to feel comfortable. So mm. I'm totally with you. Chicago was the same way. Whew, going to cl- jazz clubs in Chicago. Everybody's dressed up. Everybody's feeling good, having yeah. a great time. Yeah. It, it's it's a vibe. It's a it's a community. It's 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 beautiful. It's life, it's right? Life. <laughs> a piece and, of and life that we've is, been missing. Uh, you know, in Portland, there's there's a little classiness that goes on where it's like, you know, if you don't got the flyest whatever, if mm-hmm. you don't, you know, have this type of career or whatever, I don't really rock with you like that. Yeah. Um, but one thing I, I noticed in Houston is that everybody partied yep. together. There yep. was no high class, low class. The dude that worked at the corner store mm-hmm. or at the gas station was kicking it at the club with the same person that was, you yep. know, balling on 24, whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, it didn't matter. Mm-hmm. It was all about H-Town. Like, mm-hmm. it's, it's Houston. Mm-hmm. It's us. Mm-hmm. It ain't about none of that. You That's know? awesome. So it was like, wow. 
I had never. And then you just see him, black people in just high positions, mm-hmm. just running stuff. Yeah. And so it just instilled in me something that I didn't know that I needed just to know that, yo, we can do anything. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And even if I thought aspirationally, yeah, I can do anything, man. Yeah. But like when I see it, it's just like, oh, man. Yeah. Like, I there's mean, no excuses. There's no limits. One of my core beliefs is like if you give black folks opportunity and resources, we will kill it every time. Oh, and we see fact. it o- over and over again. Yeah. And people are surprised. I'm like, what did you think we was going to do? Like, you think We've we been ready. In Ghana. <laughs> exactly. Like, have you heard of Manson Musa? What do you think you're doing in, in right. Egypt? Right. Exactly. Like, so. Come on now. Yeah. We ran the world. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, man. So when, when you commented. I was expecting something about yourself hmm. uh, when it came to like maybe colorism or may- maybe even about your husband because mm-hmm. mixed, but it was about your daughter. Yeah. And so you said you had some challenges uh, working through colorism and preferential treatment mm-hmm. of white skin and just whiteness. Mm-hmm. So tell me about what exactly is going on. Yeah. So um, it was actually really recent. So when you posted, I was like, whoa, this is super fresh in my mind. Yeah. Um, a couple of weeks back, I had been at Target with Naomi running an errand and, you know, she we have a good um, understanding that we're not going to buy a toy every time we go to Target. She just <laughs> wants to look. Right. And so she was looking at these dolls and I was commenting there was a Moana doll. There were some black Barbies and she insisted on wanting to look at only the white dolls. Mm. And so, um, you know, I was kind of taken aback because we've done so much work in our household mm. To prioritize what she sees, who she sees, to remind her that her brown skin is beautiful, Mm -hmm. um, that uh, her hair is beautiful. Mm -hmm. um, And um, despite all of that groundwork, we we figured out very quickly that the external forces that are at play, Mm. white supremacy has a stronghold because of all of the different places and spaces she goes throughout her day, right? She's going to school. There's YouTube. Yeah, there's Netflix. Exactly. (laughs) Um, And so in that moment, I thought, you know what? I don't care. I'm going to sit here in the middle of this aisle in Target and talk to her and break down what is going on and why she believes that these white Barbie dolls are more valuable or should come home with us over these brown and black Barbie dolls. Yeah. And it really came down to her having this kind of core understanding and almost belief that white skin was better and that dark skin was bad and that she didn't like dark skin and that it was ugly. And so I began to ask questions, as I always do. Do you believe that granddaddy, you know, my daddy is pretty dark. His skin is ugly. And she said, well, no. Do you think that your skin is ugly? She said, well, no. And I said, well, then how can you make these conclusions about light skin and dark skin and white skin and black skin. Mm. And she said, she said, I don't know. And I, and I had to put myself in her shoes as a four year old. You have all this stimuli, all this information you're being given. You don't exactly know what to do with it or what it means, but you know that something is right and something is wrong because of the way it's been presented to you. And I had to remind myself that like almost all of the images that she sees outside of our house are images of white folks. And so to combat that, I'm having to, without, you know, putting a whole bunch of media in front of her face, figure out the different ways that I can articulate that brown and black is beautiful Mm -hmm. and that these binaries are not right or wrong or beautiful and not beautiful, Mm -hmm. but that they can live in some sort of harmony. But I'm also biased. So like black people are beautiful. Right. And we don't even really need to consider why, you know, in this reality. 
But it's complicated, right? Because my husband is half white. Mm-hmm. Her grandmother, two of her grandmothers are white because my dad, you know, remarried and my stepmom is white. Mm-hmm. My little brothers and sisters are half white. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so she's, you know, she's a, trying to she's trying to make sense of all this, all that. you yeah. know. Yeah. And so, you know, it hurt my heart and it brought a lot of trauma back up for me in my childhood of seeing only white girls in my classroom, Mm. of them, of course, getting um, preferential treatment from teachers, from me feeling invisible. Um, And I had to sit that somewhere else because Mm. I didn't want to... um, I didn't want to place that trauma on her because this is her life and her reality. And it's somewhat different, even mm-hmm. though there are nuances and similarities. Yeah. Um, so tough. It, but it was so tough. It was oh so, you know, I cried. I talked I to my imagine. partner and I cried and I said, I just thought that it would be a little bit easier than this because this is the exact same thing that I went through and the mm-hmm. exact same thing my mother went through. Mm. So I'm I'm concerned about the state of things in this country when mm-hmm. multiple generations of children, young black children, young black boys and girls are having the same issues yeah. as their parents and their grandparents. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's tough. And, yeah. that, you know, um, reading Dr. Joy DeGruz book, post-traumatic slave syndrome, mm-hmm. she talked about that, that racist socialization. Yep. And um, like you said, like the, the whole world, or at least in, in America, like everything is mobilized towards whiteness. Mm-hmm. And so a child not knowing any better, especially being in Portland, Oregon, right. could easily gravitate towards it because that's what they're bombarded with. Mm-hmm. And so, but like as a parent, I know that just that hurts. Mm-hmm. That hurts. And it was hard. You know, some of the things that we immediately, me and Daniel started talking about is, okay, well, where are the places that we can go where she's going to see a whole bunch of black folks and know right. that this is also a reality, right? And yeah. so we were like, Let's hit up DC. Let's go to Africa. You know, <laughs> like go. let's go. Let's go to <laughs> Ethiopia. Yeah. You know, let's go. We're gonna shift where we spend our time on vacations because we usually go to Germany because that's where my husband's from. Mm-hmm. Um, and even the, even like more so, like when you step foot in a place like Berlin or Frankfurt, you are bombarded with beautiful images of all types of brown people, which people mm. don't realize. When they mm. think of Germany, they think of a whole bunch of white folks, but Germany's more diverse than Portland. So I'm like, people are always like, why do you always go there every year? And I'm like, well, for one, there's hella Africans there, which yeah. is amazing. Yeah. And two, I feel a little bit more at home there than I do here because I'm wild. more accepted because there's yeah. more brown folks there. Yeah. But so we started strategizing, okay, where are we? let's go to the Caribbean. Let's go to the, these different places so she can see that the world is not just Portland. The world is not just what she's seeing every day. Yeah. Um, but it's it's been a challenge. I will not lie. It's yeah. been a challenge. That is. That's tough. Yeah. Yeah, I think about my daughter and and fortunately like we've been going to the same daycare for my son and my daughter and mm-hmm. it's pretty much like all black. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> and so fortunately she's surrounded by little black boys and little black girls. Mm-hmm. There's a few other, you know, non black kids or whatever, but still, um like it's kind of underrated. Mm. Like, I don't really think about it because, like, mm-hmm. that's what we've been doing since mm-hmm. we've been racing Elijah. And she just came along and boom, put mm-hmm. her in there. Mm-hmm. But it's like, man, that's it's, it's rare. And, and also, my son was like, I was telling you, like, he yeah. went to a private school at one yep. point in time. So he started out at Kairos. OK. Um, yeah. The charter school that was created by four black women. So mm-hmm. He started there. Um, and then he got accepted into Catlin. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, let's put him in a good school. Kind of right. like, like, let's right. put him in a good school. Yeah. 
they're not teaching us the same. Right. They're not treating us the same, mm-hmm. you know, and he recognized it from the jump. Mm, wow. Like three weeks into school. Oh, like, wow. He's coming home crying in first grader. Oh, wow. Talking about, uh, they don't they don't talk to me, Daddy. They just they just look at me. Oh. You know what I mean? And then it will be it will be situations where he just don't feel comfortable. Uh-huh. And so like the whole class will be in a circle uh-huh. and then he'll just be off to to the side, like playing by a tree by himself. What? And then the teacher was like, Yeah, he went off by himself. I just let him be there because I wanted him to cool down and, and let him feel comfortable. And I'm like, No, don't let no, him be No, encourage him to be in the circle. Exactly. What's wrong like, with you? Make, it, make it a more welcome environment. He's, right. he's a new kid. Like, mm-hmm. all these kids have been there since pre K, mm-hmm. kindergarten. Like, they knew each other. Mm-hmm. So that was part of the dynamic. He yeah. wasn't the only black boy, but they didn't know him. Right. And there was only one other one in his class. Mm-hmm. And so, and he just, he hadn't been immersed in whiteness. Mm hmm. And mm-hmm. so he got baptized into it and it was mm. like, nah, I don't nah want none I'm of good. This. <laughs> I don't want none of this. You know what I mean? Yeah. But we, we stuck it out. Um, there was a, a, a cool counselor there that kind of like really helped us out that first year. That's good. Um, then second grade came around, some, some issues. Mm-hmm. Third grade, I was like, we had enough. Mm. Like, I'm not going to finance mm-hmm. my son's soul being right. crushed. Right. Raising up a broken young boy and then try to repair him once he get out of high school right and i was like nah yep nah so we put him back in kairos good and kairos is like 60 to 70 percent black yeah and the administration is black mm-hmm. so it's just like it's all about not allowing any ideals of white supremacy to creep into any of their mm-hmm. learning and what, mm-hmm. you know just the whole environment is more family-based mm-hmm. so it's just like it's it's cool and we have to count our me and me and my wife and all the families that go to that black kids. We have to count our blessings because that's not that's the only school in Portland that I know of yep. that's like that. Yeah, you know, that's right. so it's 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 tough, man. It's mm-hmm. tough out here. Mm-hmm. And now in middle school, we 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 are sweating. We're oh. like, yo, where are we gonna put him? Right. I have no idea. I don't know of any middle schools in Portland that's like, oh yeah, that's, that's oh, a great place. Oh, that's a good. That's a good point. So we were thinking Beaumont. I don't know. I've heard great. I mean, we know Beaumont. I've yeah. heard great things about Beaumont. It's still cool. Yeah. Okay. It's still cool. All right. Yeah. That's what's up. <laughs> Middle school. Man. I it's a whole nother I conversation. Think, I know, man. <laughs> Ockley Green is our neighborhood school. Nah. Our neighborhood school. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mine too. Yeah, yours too. So hard just... pass. <laughs> we're going to say a hard pass. We, I've got some stories for you. That's probably another conversation, but. Yeah. Yeah. I've I've heard a few. Actually, when we was at the gender reveal, because uh-huh. Tyler went there and he was telling me, and AD's brother works there. He was just like. Bro. Oh, he, oh, okay. He said, bro, don't. don't do <laughs> so, so how recent was this incident you said? At, at um, This was last month. Have there been any other situations or anything that kind of where you seen it, but you didn't really mm-hmm. put two and two together? Where like, what? What's going on? Yeah, um, she has a friend um, who is um, Mexican, Vietnamese and white mm-hmm. and really light skinned. Mm-hmm. But you can tell that she's ethnic yeah. um, or of color. And <laughs> this little girl, she's the cutest little girl. She was trying to tell Naomi that she was brown mm-hmm. and Naomi was telling her that she wasn't. No, you're white. And the little girl was like, no, I'm brown. You know, she was getting adamant about it. Mm -hmm. And I had walked in midstream and me and the little girl's mom kind of looked at each other like, whoa, what's going on here? Mm -hmm. And so I had to pull Naomi aside and I said, well, why do you think that your friend is white? And she said, well, because she has white skin. And I said, well, there's many people around the world that are mixed 
and don't, you know, they may have white skin, but they're not white. They're still brown, you know, like daddy's really light. He's still brown. And this is why I love kids <laughs> because kids make sense. Right. They do. They're like, she's, she's like, this is logic, yo. Like she looks white. So she's white. Right. Um, but then when I started to show her lots of pictures of black folks, like mm. her cousins mm. who are lighter than this little girl and have baby blue eyes, but are still black, she was like, Oh, <laughs> right. So, but it's, I just hate the fact that we have to teach race. Yes. Cause it's not natural. Right. And it, it's not logical. It's not it's at something all that you have to learn. Mm-hmm. Tell me what you think about race as, as it, as it works socially and biologically. Like, do you think it's a real thing, not a real thing, social construct, or it's just more biological than it is social. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on I think it's a social construct, Mm -hmm. and I think it was designed to um, oppress certain people and Mm -hmm. uplift others. So, you know, to be explicit, white folks to oppress people of color. Um, And I think that the paradigm that we're in is that race has become real because we have all of these – we have a full lexicon to describe or a full way of – Um, articulating who people are based Mm -hmm. on their race. Mm -hmm. So it's always funny when people are like, I don't see race. um, I don't see color. It's like, okay, girl, try to describe somebody that you saw walking down the street that now the police are looking for. Describe Mm -hmm. them for me. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You're not just going to say it's a male. You're going to say it was a black male. Or tell me how you get dressed in the morning and your clothes match. Exactly. (laughs) It's like this, you know, so we are, we've been built around this concept that is false right and but the implications are very real which Mm -hmm. is why it's so disheartening when your children um you know are brought into situations where now they have this kind of belief system that supports what has been designed which Mm -hmm. is white is better and black is the worst thing you could ever be Mm And so I I definitely believe it's a social contract. I think there are cultural implications that make us who we are, right? For sure. Um, But they're not tied to this scientific notion, quote unquote, the pseudoscience notion Mm -hmm. of race, in my opinion. So I have been struggling with this and I've went through so many different stages Mm -hmm. of my struggle with the classification, Mm -hmm. racial classification. Mm -hmm. And so... When I was really green to all of this knowledge, mm-hmm. I was like, man, I'm a I'm a declassify race somehow, some way. Yeah. I'm not going to call myself black because mm-hmm. black is it's a basically a disrespectful term because mm-hmm. that it, it didn't come from me. It came from the white supremacy. Right. And so I'm not calling myself black. I'm going to call myself uh, Afro-American or mm-hmm. something like that. And not mm-hmm. African because, you know, I may I may be indigenous. Mm-hmm. Right. But I could be from Africa. But I'll just say Afro, not African. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, went through all these stages. And then I'm like, but I'm black in America. Mm-hmm. And now I'm like, I'm like, all right, so I'm black until I get my reparations. Mm-hmm. And then I'm going to change all my classifications. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, because yeah. because the, the more and more you think about it and look at it, race is, is political. Mm-hmm. And so, like, you, you kind of have to align with it because of the implications. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So now I see it as not taking on something disrespectful. Like we know it's disrespectful. A lot of things in the United States are disrespectful. Yeah. The fact that quote unquote natives or so you know what they call natives mm-hmm. basically almost don't exist. Like right. that's disrespectful. The erasure. Of, yeah. yeah. So um, 
and, and that they're called Indians mm-hmm. when they don't call themselves Indians, right. but they just take on the they they call it because it's like what else are they gonna say? That's mm-hmm. what all people know. Right. And so it's just like when it comes to kids mm-hmm. and kids see the cut like your daughter sees the color of old girl skin mm-hmm. and it's not brown. Mm-hmm. It looks white. And she's no, you're white. Mm-hmm. It's just like, man, I wish we could just stay here. Mm-hmm. Like just real plain and simple. Mm-hmm. Yep. And not get with all the social construct of everything and mm-hmm. continue to live in that confusion. Mm-hmm. So do you feel like there is a there's a level of coaching that you need to do for her identity? Like, how do you see that? How do you see that going and how are you preparing to help her? Hmm. shape her identity are you going to be proactive with it or are you going to be more reactive and and just see where she goes with it yeah in the beginning I thought that I could be reactive but Mm. now that I'm growing as a parent and growing as a human um, and learning more about myself I think I need to be very proactive Mm -hmm. um, just because um, I don't know the way in which she will come to identify and understand herself Mm -hmm. Um, I think that there are many ways that she could uplift some parts of her that she may value more than others. And that's when I have to be really proactive. It's the, oh, well, I'm, you know, a quarter German, right? And that's Mm. all you emphasize versus Mm. saying I'm a quarter Ethiopian as well. Mm. And I'm I'm actually a Romo and I'm Harik. Like my grandfather is of two tribes in Ethiopia, right? So there's a different way of um, articulating who you are and where you come from that I see every day, see people uplift one over the other. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm worried about that because – you are both, right? You're you're all the things. And I want her to be proud of all the things. Um, and so I, I just feel like I need to be able to have some conversations with her, regardless of how old she is, really. I know that a lot of people are like, let the children be children. I'm like, mm, I don't know about all that because my child's <laughs> saying some crazy stuff right, right now and she's only four. So yeah. we're going to get down to these conversations. And I'm going to be very explicit about, you know, my framework, not that she must believe it, but this is where I'm coming from. Just like my parents came with, you know, the knowledge that they had and said, this is what we believe. Mm-hmm. And I took all of that into consideration and made my own conclusions as I grew older. I at least have to do the due diligence of giving her what I know to be true mm-hmm. for myself and because I'm her mother. And then let her, based on her own experience, because it will be different than mine, come to her own conclusions as well. But I'm going to be there every step of the way so so long as she allows me to be, you yeah. know. So so what, what has been the first step for you? Um, positive affirmations. Okay. So in the mornings um, when we're getting ready, particularly when I'm doing her hair, you know, we stand in the mirror and we look at each other. We look at ourselves in the mirror and we say, you know, I'm beautiful. Black is beautiful. My hair is beautiful. I'm worthy to be here, to be in any space around the world. You know, just reminding ourselves that we can step out of our household, our little cocoon, and be okay, mm-hmm. right? That that we have to stand tall and know that we are capable of all these things. Mm-hmm. Um, and so 
at first it was a practice that she kind of rejected. She was like, you know, she didn't get it. Why are we doing this, mom? This is weird. But now she asked for it. If I'm running late for work, she's like, mom, we didn't do our affirmations. I'm like, oh, girl, okay, yeah. come on, let's she go. Yeah. So it is, I think it is doing something for her mentally. Um, and so we've started there. Um, and then, of course, you know, just lining our bookshelves with That's books a a uh, created and illustrated by black people. Yeah, mm-hmm. that helps a lot. Uh, I brought I brought home a, a book for my daughter. I think it's called Maya the Inventor. Have you heard of it? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. So, uh-huh. Uh, she loves that yeah. book, and it's so funny. It's so cute because she's like, uh, "So, Daddy, that's me. That's Mommy. <laughs> that's Auntie Shin. That's Brother. You know what yeah. I mean?" So she just identifies with that book so much, and she asks for it all the time. That's so awesome. It just, it just makes me proud. Yeah. How do you feel about media? I'll say for me, I did not want media to help shape my my kids' reality when it comes mm-hmm. to their blackness. Yeah. But, you know, they're going to watch TV from time to time. So my son will watch all these Disney shows mm-hmm. and or Nick Jr. or something like that. Well, Disney is the worst. Disney is the most stereotypical. I was just about to say that. <laughs> so I was like, nah, you can't watch that no more. Right. So I was like, I'll let him watch Nick Jr. But then it, they're kind of in, you know, little Netflix shows or whatever. Mm-hmm. But then I was like, man, he's just going to start watching what I watch. So yeah. I'm watching like Fresh Prince. I'm watching Marvel. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Um, And I watch Blackish from time to time. Yeah. He always wants to watch that. Now. Yeah. He's only 10 years old right now. Mm-hmm. But, like, I don't want him getting exposed to all these, especially blackish. Like, mm-hmm. they got some real yeah. progressive, adult, grown black topics. Uh-huh. But he loves blackish. Aww. And he watches it on Hulu. And now my daughter asks for it all the time. <laughs> That's awesome. So it's like, I don't want y'all hearing this stuff yet. Mm-hmm. Like, y'all too young. Just be a kid. Mm-hmm. This is adult stuff. Yeah. However, they're being socialized to like gravitate towards blackness. So right. how do you how do you feel about that? Yeah, that's a hard balance because again it's like yes, we want the kids to be kids, but our world doesn't treat our young black girls and black boys like kids. Mm-mm. They treat them like adults and we saw that with Trayvon Martin, right? right? And yeah. so um I think that giving them the content and using it as a tool to kind of uplift and daylight some of these conversations that may you feel be beyond their age Mm -hmm. but i think you and i both know that children pick up on a lot and Mm -hmm. they actually understand a lot and so part of me is like i think you probably will get this if you don't get it now you'll probably get it in like a year or two because your world is going to keep on if you don't get it here you're going to get it from yeah friends your cousins exactly whatever somebody who's Parents might let them do a little bit more when it comes right. to TV and yep. all that type of stuff. So, yeah. yeah. So at least starting, planting the seeds and starting the conversations at home, I think, is totally okay. I mean, I'm in the same boat as you. We mm-hmm. we curate what Naomi watches on Netflix. Um, I was adamant about none of the Disney princesses. Like, we're not doing that. <laughs> not at all. Yeah. As you can see over this controversy about Ariel, Folks have some feelings about some of these princesses. They are so tight man. about Ariel. Oh, um, and so she just hasn't seen any of those things. Um, but I think it's hard. It's like, what do I have to choose from at every corner of Netflix, whatever streaming show I have access to? the plot is surrounded around whiteness. Whiteness mm, is centered. Yeah. And there's always a token black friend always or whatever. One token and 
Yeah. If it's a girl, she's hella sassy. Right. And it's just like, come on, man. So I've been trying to find the media where it's blackness is centered. There's definitely not a lot, but there are mm-hmm. some out there on Netflix. And so we try to encourage her to watch those things. And she's always what I love about Naomi is she's open and she's curious. So she's down mm-hmm. to like at least check it out, yeah. you know. Um, but it is very hard. And I think that we uh, – you know, media is so hard to wrap your your fingers around. I work in media and the content creation is um, like every second of the day somebody's creating new. And so it's hard to just keep your fingers or your pulse on what's happening. But um, what I am encouraged by is that all of these new black producers, writers, cinematographers nice. are getting their chance at the Apple and creating really beautiful content. So. Yes. I'm encouraged by that, that there will be more stuff for our children. Last year, I was so, like, everybody was on a different level when Black Panther came Yo, out. Like, the, you couldn't tell me nothing. You couldn't tell me nothing, bro. You still can't like, tell me anything. Yeah, it came out Black History Month. <laughs> yep. Like, we had never been on the stage like that, on the screen like that. And mm-hmm. just, and I was so happy that my kids were able to witness yeah. it. Yep. Like, if we had that as our foundation as children... <sighs> Like, that's a beautiful thing. Yeah. And so I took him twice. Awesome. I took him Friday I, night and the next day on Saturday. That's amazing. Like, we, we about to go see it again. Like, yeah. Daddy, we just, no, we going again. Yeah, we missed some parts. We need to revisit. <laughs> right. <laughs> and so, you know, like, and, and my daughter, she was three at the time, but mm-hmm. she remembers every part of it. Aww. We still watch it on Netflix. That's awesome. And we got a little handshake and then mm-hmm. we do like Wakanda forever. Like, <laughs> yeah. so she's on it. Yeah. And so I just love the fact that, you know, I don't want them to watch all types of media and all types right. of movies, but like. We have that positive representation mm-hmm. and that's here forever. Mm-hmm. And like that's embedded in their childhood. Like mm-hmm. that's a beautiful thing. And they can build upon that. Yeah. One of the things I always talk to about some of my friends that are working in cinema is like I'm always frustrated and I guess not surprised by the lack of imagination that white folks have when they're creating these new realities within cinema. (laughs) Yet again, you are entrenched in this notion that life cannot exist without there being some power dynamic in which you are at the top, right? Mm -hmm. Even when you have full possibility, like a fantasy thriller, you Mm -hmm. still go back to some folks that are oppressed, they're brown, mm-hmm. and everybody else having power, and they're white. Mm-hmm. And I, I was, t- I was rethinking about this through the lens of Game of Thrones. Like, really? That's yeah. you had all these possibilities and all these money, all this money, and this is what you came up with, and yet you give black people a reasonable budget and time and resources and the most beautiful actors and actresses you can find. And we came out with Wakanda. And that shows you how Mm -hmm. much imagination we can have. Because we can imagine a world by which we are not at the bottom, right? We can imagine a world in which we function sustainably by ourselves in harmony with all these other realities as well. Mm -hmm. We're just not worried about (laughs) y'all. But, you know, but that's that's by design because those that finance it, the rich, you know, Mm -hmm. ultra-rich white people that own these companies, they always find a way. Yep. To, to remind, themselves. yep. And if they're not, you know, at the top of the, you know, totem pole, mm-hmm. they're going to have a white savior in there. Mm-hmm. Even with Black Panther, mm-hmm. they had the white dude exactly. in there. And he had the, he's yep. in the plane or whatever. So they, they always have to insert that. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, if you're in Hollywood and you're, you're subject to those budgets, you kind of have to, you got to roll Absolutely. With it. And, you, and you just kind of play by the rules. Mm-hmm. And until, but... That's why I love Tyler Perry. Yep. 
He has his I own studio. I love Tyler you know? Perry, bro, because yeah. he can do whatever he wants. Exactly. And I, I couldn't understand how, like, certain pro-black people mm-hmm. would talk bad about him. I get it. Like, his plays are kind of mm-hmm. whatever. His movies are mm-hmm. what. But it's him. Yeah. He's doing it all himself. And he wants to do it. And he wants to create that narrative. Yeah. And we should be celebrating that. Yeah. Whether you like the content or not, celebrate the fact that the content exists. It exists. And he controls his own destiny. Yeah. And he's employing a lot of people that couldn't get jobs otherwise. Absolutely. A lot. A lot. So many folks in Atlanta. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. Um, before we wrap this up, baby girl is only four years old. Mm-hmm. But have you, have you noticed within her... Um, her have you noticed her experiencing both privilege and discrimination? Mm. Yeah, I think I've noticed both um, privilege in that um, her light skin and the way that she looks. Mm-hmm. Many people comment, and it kind of makes me slightly uncomfortable, particularly mm-hmm. when it comes from white men, older white men. Oh she's so beautiful. Oh. Wow, she's gorgeous. Oh, oh my God. God. You know, it's the fetishization that I oh, yeah. that I hate. Oh, yeah. Um, and so I'm always like, ugh. Um, That's gross. It's very gross. And then um, the discrimination, I think, happens at a, at a social level with the types of kids that want to play with her and the types of kids that don't. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's and it's very clear. And I think for her, it's just like, oh, they just don't want to play with me. But mm-hmm. it's like when you look a little bit deeper and you're older, you're like, mm, it's probably because one, they never really interact with black folks. So their mm-hmm. parents don't have any connections with people that are not white. Right. Um, and so they've been socialized to think that you're kind of weird or mm-hmm. you're the other. And so their instinct is to just not include you in right. any of their activities. And right. so I see that. And it's at a level where I can't necessarily call it out for her because she's mm-hmm. I don't think she's seeing it that way. Mm-hmm. But it's I, I think over time she will begin to understand that that's one of the dynamics that's happening there. So, yeah, I've definitely seen that. What I've been happy that I haven't experienced and I don't want to say yet, but I know it's bound to happen mm-hmm. is um, within the education system. Her teachers telling me whatever they want to tell me about my child not being capable of doing whatever, right? Because this happened to me a lot. And so Mm. what I do know about Naomi is that she's very independent. She gets things quickly and she just does things, right? Like once she learns it, she's just going to do it. She's not going to ask you. And so I'm wondering if, if white folks who, particularly white teachers, white female teachers who need to be or feel the need to always be in control of their classroom will view that as a, as a moment of rebellion and will punish her for that instead of for not asking for not asking for not doing exactly the teacher's exactly mm-hmm. or because she's bored because she's ar- she's already done with her work she's doing something else that you know she's not supposed to be doing and that's interpreted as she's challenging she's difficult she's whatever and that's so what yeah exactly that's the reason why I got put into Holy Redeemer Ex- yeah because it was happening at, at in fifth grade at, at Irvington and I was done with stuff and I was bored. And, right. Me know, too. Yeah. I was bored and I wanted to chat because what else am I going to do? Mm-hmm. And you, you're not challenging me. So yeah. what do you expect? And so, you know, I'm I'm not again. I want to situate my trauma and my my history elsewhere. But I also want to be proactive and be prepared as a parent to have to run up in these classrooms and mm. talk to these teachers as well and not wait till it's too late where she actually thinks that she's not capable of doing the work, that she's mm-hmm. convinced herself that this is too hard. I can't do this. Mm-hmm. I need to make sure that I insert myself before that happens. Mm-hmm. So, 
yeah, I'm, I've, I've, we've witnessed both the privilege and the discrimination, and I'm just trying to figure out how and when to jump in strategically so that I'm not a helicopter parent, but mm-hmm. also I'm teaching her or modeling for her how to stand up for herself and how to demand what is right and what is just. I grapple with that helicopter parent issue because yeah. you never know where the line is at right. between being overprotective Mm-hmm. Or being too lax. Mm-hmm. And so this parenting thing. Like, it's crazy. And wow. what I have witnessed elsewhere, you know, we travel a lot to Germany. Mm-hmm. I was like flabbergasted, dog. We're on the train and there's like these little seven, eight year olds on the train by themselves going into the city to like, you know, buy sweets, buy candy or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I'm like looking at my partner like, where's their parents? And he's like. In Germany, we don't like kids just freely walk around. It's wow. it's fine. We don't have the types of, you know, molestation or pedophiles. like sexual misconduct pa- pedophiles that yeah. we all have in the states. It's yeah. it's just different for us. Oh, he said y'all. Yeah, I was like, oh, so y'all, but you live in this country <laughs> with me, so okay. <laughs> but um, but yeah, so it was really interesting, and it opened my mind about like, wow, I feel the need to always protect my child in the streets because you never know. But there's a whole way of being that other parents live where they don't have to worry about their children in that same way. And it just made me just think for a little bit about mm-hmm. like, wow, this this country that I live in is is crazy. Yeah. It's funny <laughs> yeah. because, you know, America brands itself as being better than everybody. else. Oh, yeah. But when it have a turn a blind eye to all the stuff that's going on. Totally. You know what I mean? And just make it seem like, oh, well, you know, it's okay, but we're still great in this. We're still great in that. Right. Yeah. Our, our w- w- one thing I will always say is like our, I work in media, I work in communications. I do branding projects all the time. Our brand in America is the strongest shit I've ever seen. And the Republican brand is the strongest that's and most effective is. Is. communication strategies and tools I've ever seen. And many people don't realize that. That's I'm like, you do everything. understand that they create lexicon. They create crises by naming them first mm-hmm. and then repeating it over and over and over again. And that's I'm just it. like... Yo, you have to, like, remove your blinders and see things for what they really are. Our country is hypnotized. Oh, totally. Like, totally. people don't really know. Like to- They have no idea what's going on. You have been programmed. Oh, yeah. You are under hypnosis. Oh, yeah. Watch the, watch the, watch news. the news. That's the main tool. Watch the news. All you're being fed is fear. Fear about everything. You're not really seeing what's happening in local communities where people are making positive change. You're not seeing black folks having positive images of black people or black families or black communities. And now you're not seeing any positive images about Latinx or Latino people. Mm -hmm. Like, look at it. It's by design. design. It's all by design. And you don't see any images of Native folks. They almost don't exist. Right? That's by design. So scary, man. It's just, it's just moving like, from one group to the to the other. That's what I'm saying. Yo, y'all Asian folks, you need to watch out. <laughs> y'all next. However, I am so excited for this next generation. Me like too. My all the babies that's born in like the early two thousands. Oh yeah. You know, oh eight, oh nine, like like my son's age, because yeah. this YouTube generation you cannot pull a fast one. I mean, you, you they're not putting up with this mess. The only way they can pull a fast one on us is if they get, you know, start doing those neural links and putting a chip in your brain. Oh, yeah. And then the Internet is in your brain. And then <sighs> that's what, when you, I'm out, dog. What, you, what you search for is all algorithm. And 
That's when I'm out. I got to get to Mars or something. I'm out. Um, when they start putting chips in people's heads, I'm cool. Yeah, man. That's like, you know, a good 10 to 15 years away. But at this point in time, they can think independently. They can do their own research. Yep. And there's a wealth of research and a wealth of information out there. Mm-hmm. And the social modeling that they're doing on a world landscape, um, you know, in regards to client or climate, in regards to gun re- gun reform. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're seeing themselves protest in the streets. Mm-hmm. Imagine being that young and seeing how much of a difference you can make when you are working as a collective. Yeah. I mean, that's something that we didn't see. Our generation didn't really see. We didn't see no. ourselves in that way. No. We saw our parents' generation doing it. Mm-hmm. But for them to see themselves and then act on it and get ignited is truly, truly amazing. Yeah. yeah. I think this upcoming generation is really going to change some stuff. Yeah. So. So I'll wrap up every episode with the Fab Five. So these are five okay. questions that I ask everyone. Okay. Five plus one. I got an extra one too. All right. Cool. All right. So I'm first, ready. First question. One um, A. What's your favorite genre of music? Ooh, favorite genre of music. That's super hard. Um, I would say. Hmm. It's a mix between hip hop and indie. So it's like mm. hip hop beats with like electric guitar. So I don't know if you're familiar with this musician named Tom Mish. He's from mm. London. He's an amazing guitarist, but he often works with different producers. His mm. favorite being um, De La Soul okay. to create these amazing like mashups of his guitar and just like beats. That's dope. And I just love it so much. That's it's like a vibe. Is totally. Like your favorite artist at this time? Yeah, I like I'm really into like live music right now. So mm-hmm. when I can hear an artist use their instrument to create music, I'm just like blown away by it. So right now I've really been into Tom Mish. Um but there's so many other artists that are like black is like Tom I S H or just Tom M I T O M and then his last name is M I S C H. Okay. okay. Yeah. Yeah. He makes some dope music. Tom Mish. I'm going to check him out. Yeah, check sure. him out. He's cool. Question number two. Is there a movie that has changed your outlook on life? <sighs> Moonlight. Really? I haven't seen it. You haven't seen Moonlight? I haven't seen it, no. It is the most beautiful cinematography. Really? I mean, so it's a cross between Moonlight and If Beale Street Could Talk. I haven't seen that. Oh, that that you just came to, out though, right? Or is it that came out older? last year. Okay. But... <sighs> Moonlight just really reminded me about the skeletons we keep on our closet and the detriment of that if we're mm-hmm. not able to actualize our whole selves and our fullest potential. Mm-hmm. And it was through the lens of a young black boy that grew up um, without parents. And so it's just it's a it's beautiful. The music is beautiful. And then if Beale Street could talk just reminded me of like the power of love and seeing black love centered. Yeah. It's like nothing else you could ever see or experience. And that's an adaptation of a book written by James, James Baldwin. Baldwin. Yeah, yeah who's one of my favorite authors. And so to see James the Baldwin. to see the poetic nature kind of spill through and be sprinkled throughout this film along with the score. The score is absolutely beautiful. I if love you listen a movie to with a great score. That's why I love score. Spike Lee because his scores are yeah, amazing. Exactly. Yeah. If you like Spike Lee's scores, you will love oh, if Bill Street could talk right. the score. Man, it's shout beautiful. out to Oba, bro. Like, 
you've been telling me to get on that movie since it came out. You've been trying so to get beautiful. me to talk about it, and let's do an episode on it. And I've been dragging my feet, bro. It's, I'm on it. Do it. It's so beautiful. On it's it. one of my favorite films. That's dope. Yeah. Question number three. When you feel overwhelmed, how do you de-stress? Oh, um, well, when I wasn't pregnant, <laughs> I would have a glass of wine or a gin and tonic. Mm. Um, you know, not too much, but just but still, to take no, the you, edge off you gotta, a little you bit. Change it up now. Yeah. yeah. But um now I'm you know, I I put books down. I mean, I don't want to admit this out loud, but I'm going to be fully transparent. I put mm-hmm. books down after I had Naomi because I just did not have time. You mm-hmm. know, I'm raising a little human. I work full time. By eight thirty nine o'clock, I'm ready to go to sleep right. or doze off to Netflix. And I wasn't really like paying attention and digging into books. But now um, I'm really back into reading a lot. Mm. And I found that it really helps me put a lot of things back into perspective, particularly like whichever genre I'm reading. Mm-hmm. It's one of the things that helps me kind of rebalance, de-stress and remind myself like the world is so much bigger than what I'm experiencing right now. And it helps when I hear other people's stories through books to remind myself of like, oh, you all right, girl. There's like (laughs) a lot of people that have a lot going on and you cool right now. So, yeah. That's a fact. Yeah. Reading has like just changed my world. Right. After I graduated college, I didn't want anything to do with it. I know. That's how I felt, too. And so, <laughs> but then at the age of, like, 27, 28, mm-hmm. I started mm-hmm. reading again. I don't even know what sparked my interest in mm-hmm. reading. But then, like, my life has just been on a totally different path. Totally. And it's like, and now I, I got way too many books. That, you can never I, have too many I need, books. I got too <laughs> I got books all over the house. Yeah. Like, and I don't have, like, a formal bookshelf. Mm-hmm. And so I got books, like, just in random corners mm-hmm. of the house. And Renita's like, when are you going to get <laughs> When are you going to organize these? Got like sixty books around now. But you know your your children are going to see that, and they're going to value books because Mm -hmm. they saw daddy that had so many books and was always reading. So I think that's amazing. I take them to the central library as much as possible. That's awesome. And uh, I just I buy my son books all the time. That's great. You need something new because he he go through them quick. Oh, that's great. Now that he's like once he hit like eight nine years old, Uh he was flying through books. That's amazing. Okay, that's what's up. Yeah. But then like I try to force him to read certain things. Mm -hmm. They don't work. Yeah. I've been forcing him to read Emotional Intelligence 2.0. Yeah. <laughs> when he was nine. Uh-huh. He was like, I don't It's taking him a while. He's like, Daddy, what does this word mean? And I have to Aww. like, or just, he don't not pronounce it. Yeah. But my thing is, I just want him to get it in his brain mm-hmm. so that like his brain has seen it. Right. He's been exposed to it. And if you don't fully understand, when he gets oh, like, you know what? Mm-hmm. I already read that. Let me revisit it. Yeah. And he knows that books have knowledge and For that sure. he can access knowledge through a variety of different ways. And books is just... One of them that is so pleasurable, I think. For so sure. that's great. Question number four. If you woke up tomorrow and found out that you won the lottery for $100 million, how would you spend your money and your time from that day forward? Oh, my God. Me and my partner were just talking about this because we went through or we passed by a billboard that had like the current lottery numbers on yeah. it. And he was like, what would you do if you had all that money? I was like, well... <laughs> Part of me would be like, yo, let's like ball out. (laughs) Let's just go on these crazy trips. But then I thought about it. I would love to pay off all of my family's debt. Mm. 
I would love to buy land (laughs) Um, if I had that money. And I would love to create um, like a nonprofit or a foundation where I could do the type of work that I think is meaningful in my community. Mm -hmm. Um, And I would just I literally would take my kids around the world so they could see the world. Um, That's probably what I do. um, Just to be honest. (laughs) No, that's what's up. Um, I know travel would definitely be on the top of my list. Mm -hmm. Like just. Because honestly, I don't want my kids to be in school. I'm not going to lie to you. I, I don't want my kid to be in school either. I do not. Like, yo, the world is your university. Absolutely. Like, let's go here. Let's go there. Let's go. There, let's learn about people. You learn so much culture. more when you travel. We're going to give you a little bit of math. Right. <laughs> you're going to need some of it. You, you, you're going to need some math. <laughs> yeah. But you need emotional intelligence. Mm-hmm. You, know, you need to know how to talk to people and just interact with people from yeah. all different backgrounds. Absolutely. It's just going to make you a better person. And right. you're going to learn so much by doing as opposed to sitting in some classroom, mm-hmm. reading some book that don't apply to you, that don't make sense, and half or maybe 60% of your day is your teacher yelling at somebody to sit down and be quiet. And right. so you're really not learning as much as you really could. Right. Like, school shouldn't be that long. Right. It really shouldn't. It should not be that long. It should only be three to four hours mm-hmm. of learning, and then you're done. Yep. Because who can really focus? I know I can't. No, none of us can. <laughs> at work, we're like three o'clock. Uh, yeah, my brain is fried. Even like, at work, people ain't even work. Ain't nobody working the whole day. No, no. Like you BSing a good thirty to thirty-five percent of your day. <laughs> yeah. If we be honest. Yep. <laughs> so. I think the Swedes figured that out because they're trying to reduce their workday down to six hours because they knew smart. people wasn't working the other two hours. Yeah. So just go ahead and work, knock it out. Right. And yeah. Yeah. Work. Question number five is kind of heavy. Hmm. Um, what message do you want communicated at your eulogy? Ooh, my eulogy. Mm-hmm. Um, that is heavy. <laughs> um, I think, and it may sound cliche, but I really have come to know it to be true, at least for my life, um, that love is everything. Mm. It is the single force that connects people across culture, across what we know as race, across gender, um, across all things. And I've known different kind of iterations of what love can mean and can look like and feel like. And I just would want to communicate that it is not to be underestimated Mm -hmm. as a way of connecting with people across the world. Mm -hmm. And We may have all of these other isms at play that cause and disrupt connection, but at the whole of it, we started with love, Mm -hmm. if you think about it, Mm -hmm. um, on a biological level in many cases. um, And mostly we end with love, with loving the people around us as we pass into wherever we're going after Mm -hmm. this life. And so I just don't think that it ever should be underestimated or taken for granted. Mm. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. And I concur <laughs> with everything. Um, the plus one. Mm-hmm. If you could choose any one celebrity as your life coach, who would it be and why? Who? Any one celebrity as my life coach. I know Condoleezza Rice might be at the top. <laughs> Girl, I do not. <laughs> Condoleezza Rice can go have a seat. Um, you know, I was just talking about, like, historical figures that I would love to have conversations with. It was an icebreaker that was a part of a, a group meeting that I was in yesterday. Yeah. 
And I think I would come back to Angela Davis. Mm. I would love to have her as a life coach because I'm very interested in how she views her life's work and how it has changed over time from being uh, out in the streets, very explicit, not that she's not now, Mm -hmm. activist, to being somebody who we now know has to be a lot more strategic about the ways in which she fights and advocates for justice. Mm-hmm. You know, you you see her getting her hands and her face slap when talking about Israel and Palestine. And she back in the USC? day, um, no, or she was at Irvine. I don't mm-hmm. know if she's still there. Okay. She may have. I know she's retired and was oh, doing some. Yeah, okay. she was like a lecturer now. But okay. um, you see kind of the political backlash of, you mm-hmm. know, her current work and how different it was for her back then when she was able to freely say, you know, no, I want justice for black people. And so I would love to just hear how she's come to terms with the different kind of realities and reactions to her activism and how it's changed over time. I would love to have her as a life coach. Yeah. <laughs> Teach she, me, Angela. Right. <laughs> Tell me what to do. She's dope. Yeah. Not Angela Rye, though. No. Mm-hmm. Who's Angela Rye? Oh, my God. Oh, wait. You know who Angela Rye is? No, I don't. Are you political? As kind. in, like, politically active? Mm, I Is mean, she... I have a troubled relationships with politics. Okay, me too. But she's like a, she's like the main... I don't I'm about to say blackface. Uh, <laughs> she is the main African-American media person that's out there for Democrats. Oh. As far as, like, that kind of speaks to the millennials okay. on The Breakfast Club. Oh, so okay. She's, is she a correspondent on CNN sometimes? Does she pop yes. in and out? Okay. I That's know her. exactly what she looks That's like. Yeah yeah. 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 So okay. She, she does her thing. Okay. So I will, I will investigate. But I have, go ahead. I, I was going to say, I, I have mixed feelings about her. Like I used to, I mean, she's very pretty. So it's yeah. just like, all right, that's my hall pass. If I ever get one <laughs> in, in, in my mind, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? But, yeah. uh, I always, I used to always think she was like super dope, mm-hmm. but then there's some things that she said and then I'm like, Mm-hmm. she's political mm-hmm. and politics will kind of rob you of your own thought because you kind of have to play into fall it. in line fall in line with the group yeah and so it was like man i thought she was just she was going to take us to the next not that not that we need some leader or whatever but mm-hmm. i just thought she was going to be the voice for the millennials mm-hmm. and, mm, yeah it's political and that's kind of the trouble i have with politics is that nobody's really able to speak truth to power or be authentic without uh, being dragged, <laughs> right? Like literally or called out or lose your damn job. Yeah. Um, and so it's, it's. I always find it hard to tune into these conversations because I'm like, why don't you just say what you know you need to say? Exactly. Just say it. But I know they can't because it's TV, it's media and, you know. Things. And as soon as you say it, it's a wrap. Like Mark Lamont Hill. <laughs> it's over. I mean, they literally dragged him for saying the same things that what we know Angela Davis is trying to say as well. Mm-hmm. And she lost, you know, awards. She lost uh, certificates because... Mm-hmm. We're speaking out against Zionist beliefs. And, you know, so, yeah, I mean, it's it's scary. And I know that people can't say what they want to say. But I know when people do have the opportunity to speak truth to power and it is transparent, I'm very encouraged by that. But I know people have real lives and need jobs and need to eat. It's tough. (laughs) So it's it's tough to fight. Yeah. 
All right. Well, Camille, thank you once again for coming through. This is a great conversation. Thank you for having me. I know I learned a lot. I hope everybody listening has learned something is able to take away something from this conversation (laughs) because you dropped a lot of nuggets. I hope so. Uh, If there's any one concluding message you can give to wrap up everything that we talked about, what would you say? Especially when it comes to your kids and dealing with colorism and things of that nature. Yeah, I think communication is super important. I think um, having those really honest, a lot of the times really challenging emotional conversations comes at a cost, but the benefit will always outweigh it. And so as a communication practitioner myself, I always believe in just sitting down and starting the conversation rather than letting things fester and um, not uh, getting to our truth, Mm -hmm. right? So I think I encourage everyone, no matter what the content is, what the topic is, just talk about it. Just talk about it, y'all. Be proactive. (laughs) I know it's uncomfortable, but we have to do it because if we don't do it, it's it's happening. Mm Mm-hmm. Somebody's no doing what, it, yeah. whether intended or unintended, it's, yeah. it's happening. So let's have these conversations with our kids, with our significant others, baby mamas, baby, whoever it yep. is, whoever's <laughs> in our kids' life, everybody needs to be on the same page yep. and let's get it right. Yeah. All right. So appreciate y'all for listening. Uh, hit me up on Twitter and Instagram if you have any questions, comments uh, at Socks and Sandals Podcast. If you're on iTunes, please rate five stars. Leave a comment. If you're on SoundCloud, hit that heart button. Hit that repost. Appreciate y'all's support. And once again, it's the Socks and Sandals podcast where society, culture, history, and religion collide. And we unapologetically discuss our worldviews. Holla at y'all next week. Grace and peace. Yeah.